Well, what a difference a couple weeks makes. Hey, folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Um, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Thanks for sticking with us uh, through a couple of downer intros the past couple weeks. Um, when I announced that the show was going completely independent, um, I recorded that intro. And then like two days later, I saw how great that was. Um, like the possibilities of doing this on my own became really exciting. And um, so now that's what I'm doing. That does mean I need more direct support than ever before um, because there's no network, because it's just me doing this stuff. Uh, and and occasionally I, I get to hire my friend Jordan as our engineer to make it sound great. Um, I do need support, but that support goes directly into the podcast. So if you want to help out, please go to benblacker.substack.com and just become a paid subscriber. Um, that, that'll do it. I'm not, I'm not going to do like a Kickstarter. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. If you support the Substack, then that will support the podcast. Um, plus, you'll get all kinds of cool stuff. Like we do these monthly Q&As, live Zoom Q&As with pro writers, folks you know from the podcast. Uh, in April, it's it's a doubleheader. It's two, two great writers, two good friends of mine. Uh, Javier Grio Markswatch, who you know has a ton of incredible advice. And he's worked on shows from Charmed and Lost and medium. He created The Middleman. He created the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance show. Most recently, he worked on Cowboy Bebop and From and Raising Dion. He's always doing cool stuff. Joining Javi on that Q&A will be Jose Molina, his Children of Tendu podcast partner, uh, who also has an incredible career. He started out on Dark Angel and Firefly, uh, Law and Order Special Victims Unit and Castle, uh, most recently, he was on Blood and Treasure and Legacies, La Brea. He's working on the Magic the Gathering show right now, like a ton of cool stuff uh, that Jose and Javi both have done. They're both going to join us to do like a special private Children of Tendu crossover with the writers panel where you ask the questions on the Zoom. They'll answer the questions. It's going to go real long, I bet, uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be in April. And then... Our May guest is really cool. I'm excited to announce that soon, and I will announce both of those on the Substack. Go to benblacker.substack.com. Only paid subscribers get to attend and ask questions and hang out with these pro writers. And they've been great. They've been really fun. If you are a paid subscriber, you can also listen to all the past ones with Matt Nix most recently, Sarah Gamble. Um, Jane Espenson, like the list has been bananas. Akela Cooper, it's it's so great. And there's amazing stuff that comes out of every single one of these Zoom Q&As. So I hope you'll become a subscriber and join us for those. We're also doing occasional meetups here in LA of paid subscribers. We just did the first one uh, last month and it was really fun. It's such a nice group of people. We had about 20 folks come out, um, all paid subscribers to the podcast, all emerging writers, some of whom already are working in the business, um, but all pre-WGA or early WGA. And it was just like trading stories and talking shop. And it was a blast. Um, so we're going to do another one of those over the summer. Again, only for paid subscribers. Uh, and I hope I hope to see you at these. You know, we're forming a nice little community over on the newsletter, which is called Rewriting, which I think is good. Um, so anyway, please support the podcast. Please support the newsletter by becoming a paid subscriber over at benblacker.substack.com. 
I'm still on Twitter. You can follow me at Ben Blacker. Tell me who you want to see on these podcasts. We've got a incredible lineup for the next couple months. Um, I'm doing mostly one-on-ones because they're the easiest things for me to edit, and I'm not <laughs> very good at editing. Um, but those one these one-on-ones are incredible. I'm I'm having a blast doing them. We're really getting to dig deep on so much stuff, uh, and there are some awesome ones coming up, including, and maybe this is one of them, including the creator of Andor, um, Tony Gilroy, um, so many great folks, uh, Sharon Horgan coming up, the showrunners of Perry, the showrunner of Perry Mason. Um, yeah, this, it's, it's kind of, we're in a golden age here of the writer's panel podcast, uh, which I didn't expect just a month ago. So thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in, tune in, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Um, Michael Begler is back. Uh, Michael is co-show running, is that correct? The new season of Perry Mason. Um, you're still working with your writing partner. Yeah. Who we last had on in 2015 to talk about their creation, The Nick. Um, which was a lot of fun. That that conversation was a lot of fun. Um, I can't remember when we talked then, if we talked about the background that you guys had writing in sitcoms and stuff like that. We might have. We might have. Yeah. But if you if you want a refresher, I'm I'm happy to give you the uh, the Cliff Notes version. Well, the thing I'm really interested in and is like you know a thing that I think maybe the pandemic put into uh, perspective for a lot of us, but this idea that like you can write your way into the kinds of shows that you want to be working on the kinds of shows that you love. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I'll just list a couple, like you guys started out on empty nest, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, Tony Danza, Malcolm in the middle. Like you, you really were like these journeyman comedy writers. Oh, Oh yeah. 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 On mostly failed endeavors. Well, it was a lot of like based around stars at the time, right? Yes, yes. If, if you were a failed uh, or a middling uh, stand-up comic, we we probably worked on the thirteen episodes that that they allowed because it usually got canceled. So, I mean, was the Nick the Nick looks like it was your your first big drama series, and was that a concerted effort to get into the kind of TV that you liked and wanted to be making? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well. It wasn't a concerted effort to get into anything. It was a concerted effort to write something for ourselves that that there was it was just a period in our career because in that that stage of our career, we were doing um, a, we were doing mostly feature work and um, and we were doing a lot of rewrites. But we were very pigeonholed. We were doing romantic comedies or family comedies. And there was nothing else that was really on the table for us. And, and it was starting to get a little harder to find the the work. And it was also, it was getting harder to be psyched for the work. Um, And so after a string of several like annoying pitches, meetings, this and that, uh, there had been this idea that sort of, I had a kernel of, for a long time, didn't know if we were even capable of doing it, but just felt like, you know what? Well, first I said, Hey, let's put together an amazing pitch. Like let's, let's, 
let's, you know, let's knock them, you know, uh, off their seats with this idea of this hospital in 1900, blah, blah, blah. And then Jack says, well, why don't we just, since we know what we want to do, why don't we just write it? Because we'll probably write it faster than we'll get the meetings. And, and I said, you know what, you're right. Because even if we pitched it, they'd say like, that's a great idea. You're not the guys. Um, and so it was really, it started as an experiment. Like, can we do this? And with no, with, with no aspirations beyond getting from fade into fade out. I mean, obviously it worked. You found the right place, the right partners, the right time. And obviously it was the right material uh, and you guys nailed it. Um, how does Perry Mason then fit into that equation? Does it feel, you know, related to the Nick for you? Does it feel like the natural next thing? Um, well, um, yes and no. I mean, in, in the, you know, a number of years has gone by since we did, we finished up with the Nick and we've worked on a variety of projects, tried to get a hold of things, you know, as most of us do, just trying to get something off the ground and, you know, the, the, the and then COVID and all this stuff sort of uh, uh, delayed anything or just, but, or things just didn't pan out like, like, like 99% of everything that we work on. Um, but the, and, and so when the opportunity arose at first, it's, it, it there is definitely the sense of, well, it's a historic show and like a period piece, blah, blah, blah. Like that's very appealing. But I was personally, I was petrified. I did not think uh, we could do it or I, I shouldn't even say we, I don't want to speak for Jack in that situation. I didn't think I could do it. Why? I, uh, why? Um, never did a courtroom drama, never did a mystery. Um, I wasn't that, uh, to be honest, at the time, I wasn't very noir literate. I'd never read a Perry Mason. I'd never watched. I watched first season and thought like, that's a really cool show, but I can't do that. Um, but I never watched the old show. Like it, it wasn't something that, that really, I'll say at the time, it wasn't something that appealed to me. And, and it, it took getting into it and really going into the research and and just starting to think that way that it turned on. And, um, but that took time, you know, that again, that wasn't like a, like, well, okay, we take the job and three days in like, well, I got this, you know, it took, you know, months of outlining and, and then months of, 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 of writing it, finding the voices, talking to the actor, like all of it. And um, to the, to, I don't think it was really until halfway through production where I, I did feel that, where I did feel like, okay, I'm, I, I have that confidence. Um, and, and, and that now I feel like, well, a, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I would do anything to do it again, but also, uh, I'm sure there's other things I can, I could try and, and, and figure out. Is this an un is that unusual for your process? Like, does it take you time to find your way in a given you know world or project that that you guys have undertaken? I think for me, yeah, because I'm you know Jack and I have very different personalities, uh, you know that 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 end up complementing each other. But but from from where I sit, I'm the type of person like who 
who needs to take it in, who needs to digest it, you know? So it's like, if you're like getting notes or, or feedback, I'm the, I'm the quiet one. I mean, actually when we first met with uh, team Downey uh, about the show, um, I just, Jack like did all the talking. I just sat there and nodded and, and didn't say anything. And they thought like, we're never going to win that guy over. And it, they didn't realize I was like, uh, uh, I'm so scared. I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay. Let me listen. Let me listen. And then I go away, but, but that's just my pro my, you know, my processing speed. I need that time to really soak it in. And, and it's like, as I say, it's low and slow. Like it, this is what's going to create the best dish is if you, if you cook it slowly and let it really break down to what it needs to be. And, and, and I think that that's what sort of, uh, uh, really is the way I operate. What gave you that luxury of that time? Well, I think it was a, I mean, we had a, a good amount of focused time before we started production. You know, we had, uh, we, we, Jack and I came on in March of 2021 and we didn't start shooting until January, 2022. So 10 months um, and 10 months to really, to, to, to really get in there, but, but to have also very good partners in team Downey, um, who very smart and knew what they wanted and what they didn't want, um, almost more importantly, and to understand, I think for me, it wasn't my show. I didn't create it. You know, I didn't, I didn't make this world. So, so to, to have the time to sort of study what was already there and really understand the voices to talk to Matthew Reese and Chris Chalk and Juliet Ryland and get to who they wanted to be and do this all beforehand. And the good news is, is that we had a relationship with Juliet from the Nick. So that, that, you know, so we had a little bit of a shorthand in that regard, but to, but, but these are people who embodied the parts and I, I needed to listen to all that. And I think having that time was essential. So you, you guys were coming in on the second season. What did you inherit from the first season? Um, whether it's story or character or whether it's, you know, the writers um, and, and how did you then start to make it your own? Well, we, basically all we inherited was the show we 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 came in with pretty much a blank slate um and um uh it was just the two of us at the time um and and i mean and that was the the, the only what not the only but one of the mistakes that i think we we made saying like, well, we did a Nick by ourselves. We'll be able to do this by ourselves. But the Nick was a whole other animal. I mean, it was all Steven Soderbergh and we were basically left alone and and didn't get any notes and had no nobody to answer to. And it was our creation. This one, um, we it was so it was just us. Um and we just inherited a really strong, strong show. Like we inherited really really good characters and uh and a really good jumping off point because season one is an origin story and then you get done with that and now it's like okay now he's the attorney and so now we can really play in that perry mason space 
Um, and so we were able to take it where we thought it would naturally go. And, and that, and part of that was not that far because he's still a new lawyer. And I think I really, I really appreciated that again for the imposter syndrome part of it. Um, just, I just like, I'm channeling all that. Um, and, um, and just using that, uh, that space to not only explain, to to expand on the characters because again the origin was there but now how do we it gives us that opportunity to dig deeper into them emotionally and then you know the the open palette of 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 LA like so much to explore there and that's what was really exciting it's funny you you mentioned the you know the origin story had been has been done and now you're getting into the Perry Masonness of it but you were also talking about how you didn't know Perry Mason. Like you didn't know the books. You didn't know the show, which most of us, I think, coming in, we're not overly familiar with. So how do you how do you make it a Perry Mason show? You've got him as a lawyer now. That's the good news. <laughs> but how do you then like try to capture whatever that thing is? And I, I couldn't even point to what a Perry Mason show is. Like, what are the tropes of it? Right, right. Uh, it, it's a good question. I think you have to attack it from different angles. I think you have to, you know, character first, obviously, um, and just look at what what uh, Rowan and 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 Ron created in Perry. Um, I mean, I thought they did an exceptional job with that backstory of his PTSD um, and making him, giving him that sort of troubled past and that sort of. I call it the percolating trauma inside him um, and, and really not thinking about, I guess I'm never really thinking about it has to be Perry Mason. You know what I mean? Like it, it just has to be this Perry Mason, but at the same time, we have to like be respectful of all the Perry Mason behind us. So, so yes, you have to, obviously you have to hit, things you have to know that okay well we got to make an interesting case you know there's only eight billion law and orders so how do we make that interesting and there's eight billion perry mason episodes and we have to make it so we have to make it compelling but we also have to make it a mystery and how do you keep the audience involved in that and i think you know those are the things that i think people want from Perry Mason. And they, what they, I think what people want from Perry Mason also is, and this is something that Soderbergh said to us on the Nick, which was people like to watch experts do something expertly. And, and I think that that's true. I mean, we saw that in, in, in Thackeray, Clive Owen's character in the Nick, he, you know, or, or, or Andre Holland's character, Algernon, you know, these brilliant surgeons. Um, and, watching somebody who's i mean perry's still learning to be a good lawyer but he's a damn good detective and to see those skills and to see him trying to combine those two i think is 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 the thing that that you have to sort of honor when when making a you know quote unquote perry mason show i think too you guys have hit on this idea of like maybe maybe his lawyer skills aren't that uh aren't like thackeray you know maybe they aren't the expert yet but it feels like his moral compass is like you play that character aspect of him 
which granted, like you're you're given, you know, how, a case over however many episodes where you're allowed to do that. Um, like he's very much the center of the show because he's the moral center of the show. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And how does everybody play off of him, you know, um, and how does how does he then and once the person plays off of him, how does he then react back to them and how does he how does he internalize it or how does he hold back? How does he how is you know, when does when does he know to push? When does he push too much? And that's that's like one of his biggest flaws is that he does push too far. He does push too hard and 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 that he's not perfect he's not he isn't raymond burr and that's not yet not yet not yet he's got to put on a little weight and uh um but uh i think that that that's what is i mean that's what we love in all the the great characters and you can call them the anti-hero whatever but but i think we just what we've all what 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 this period of television and going back, you know, let's go back to The Wire, which is one, if not my favorite, one of my all-time favorites. These are flawed individuals. And yet we we love what they can do and love what how the world rotates around them. And yet we 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 don't want them to make those mistakes, but we 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 forgive them, you know, when McNulty drinks too much or does some, you know, like we forgive it because they're also their moral compass was so was where it was and i yeah i mean we're we're both as viewers and writers fascinated by these complicated characters absolutely because what's what's the fun of writing the two-dimensional thing it, and it feels like that's where you guys live like you got to do that for so many years on the nick you get to do that now if i may i'm i may be out of turn guessing this but it it feels to me like the mystery may have been the hard part for you <laughs> Yeah, mysteries are, dude. It's so hard. Like it's so hard. Like because every time you think you've like, oh wait, what about? And then you're like, mm, but then you're like, you you're just like, yeah, that's it. And then the next day you come in, you go like, okay, I found about eighteen holes in that. Why that won't work? Um, it's and it's it's constantly evolving. I mean, this season constantly evolved and this goes back to like one of your earlier questions of like what did we sort of inherit you know like i said we start out alone but we didn't end alone you know we we got halfway through the season and realized okay there we need help and um and we brought on some great great people and um that helped open up the show it helped um and it helped to have a sort of different people with different lenses and um and to help with that mystery piece because and i i can't i can't tell you how many different endings we had like we 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 went through probably seven or eight different versions of the finale at least yeah and is that i mean when you're changing that around and i assume so much of that for you guys is going to be character based mm -hmm. like what's the most interesting version of this reveal or solution do you then have to go back and start re-breaking the mystery so oh yeah 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 it leads yeah to and you got to make sure that you're 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 ahead of it you know and like because i gotta remember like we got to a point and we just didn't know like well what what's his move legally like what can he actually do and 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 so like what's his move in court 
And um, and so like getting on with Elizabeth Logan, the legal expert, and just being like, okay, here's the scenario where we're going to run through, like, what can you do? And she's like, well, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, okay, okay. So we can take this piece of it. And that seems to fit in this character. But if he did that, you know, it's all of that. It's, 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 it's a lot to juggle. You know, it was interesting hearing like finding your way in and this idea of like, we have all of LA to play with too, which is really cool. Like this is, you're leaning into that noir, LA noir aspect of it. How do you start to narrow that down into what story, what mystery, what plotty stuff do we want to cover in season two? I mean, again, that's that's the that's the, the the good and the bad is like you get there's so much great material. I mean, once you start going down those those roads, um, you know, like I one of my favorite uh, research materials is newspapers.com. And you can just spend, I mean, an eternity on that thing and just read the headlines from the years and just be like, holy shit, holy shit. No, what, like you just it blows your mind. I mean. A guy who who would who would who made a box that he put a rattlesnake in and he would sho- he tried to shove his wife's foot in there so she would be bit and die. And that guy ended up that. Oh, let me just finish that story. That guy did that. His wife didn't die. So he took her and he drowned her in 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 the bathtub and then he left her outside by a puddle to make it look like she tripped and died. He got found out. He got the electric chair. Just just saying. Yes. And this is from the era. So, so, oh, and by the way, he killed four other wives before that. Um, yeah. Right. Like, right. So. How does I that know, not become I your know, plot? What are you we, doing? We, we tried to use something <laughs> along those lines, but we, you know. Um, but yeah. How did you zero in on, uh, on the story that you zeroed I, in? on? Well, the, 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 again, there's so, there's so much material, but there was a few things that happened right away. One of the first things was, was in one of our first meetings with Team Downey was we were on with Susan Downey and Amanda Burrell um, and uh, Robert Downey Jr. He just happened to sort of zoom bomb, you know, he just sort of kind of came in from the side and 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 he was he's had some. All these ideas of what he loved about the era and the, the thing that stuck in our minds is when he started talking about oil. And I said, oh, that's so interesting. And we started looking up uh, information. We started looking up photographs. And there's this amazing, amazing picture of a couple on Venice Beach in like 1932, I think. And behind them is literally a forest of oil derricks. I mean, it looks like Mordor. Um, It's really astonishing. So that like just that's the sort of germ that we took, which was like, can you imagine? Well, it's A, you don't think about LA and think about oil town. And so I love that. B, I mean, you know, you, I mean, maybe people say like, you know, there will be blood is like the, is, is sort of the closest thing, but, but you certainly don't think of 1930s LA and oil. And, but there were oil derricks everywhere, up and down La Cienega, everywhere. Um, and so you take that and you think like, so you got to imagine the wealth, like beyond what we understand of the, you know, of the Hollywood wealth that we that we expect the Holly, the, the, the studio heads and those types of people. So I found that really interesting because you knew that there was a lot of power behind that. And then when you're reading about 
it's the worst year of the depression. You're reading about the forced deportations of, of Mexicans. Like it just, it just starts to like, say like, Oh, wait a minute, this is interesting. And this well, So what about the people with all the power and the people with no power and how do we play around with that? And that just, and then the thing to turn it on its head in terms of one of these shows is, well, Perry Mason always, he always uh, defends the innocent. What happens when he defends the guilty? I mean, that to me is a very challenging place for this guy. And in this era, in a, in, in, with, with, with everything I just said, how do, you, how do you do that? And that became the interesting story. Absolutely. And it, and it grows him as a character, right? You're getting yeah. to turn over facets of this guy that we ha- didn't see in season one and we don't even see in the first half of season two. Yes. Do you think of it as a long game or do you think we're going to just tell the best story we can for this season? Or are you thinking about seasons three, four, and five? Um, <clears throat> well, to start, no, I wasn't. Uh, I was thinking about getting to the end of the day. Um, no, I... Uh, uh, I can say this, uh, sort of what I alluded to before, I fell more in love with it as I went along and to the point of uh, whereas I was very focused or we were very focused on figuring this out, figuring out this season um, and knowing that, that, that it's for the most part, it's a closed story you know it's a it's a it's a it's a court case per season and that's okay i that that seemed that seems like a really fun world to play in you know but also that knowing that the characters are going to be where they are at the end and that you know we we've taken elements from season one and brought them into season two with the emily dotson of it all and same would 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 apply to season three um if we are so lucky, I mean, we are like, I, I have uh, a, an idea. I, I, we are breaking an idea. Like it is I'm, and I am stoked about it. Like I am praying now for this because it's just like, I now know what this is and I now know what it can become. And I, and to be quite honest, yeah, <clears throat> I do have a, a five-year plan, a six-year plan. I have a very, I, I, there's a way to do the show for a long time. And, and I'm hopeful that at, at least get one more shot, shot at it for That's sure. That's great to hear. Um, and, and it's great to hear because it feels like you, you fell in love with the show that you weren't sure of at first. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll, and I'll tell you, I'll t- one of the reasons I think is also, and I know that this is really what's going on with, you know, with, with the fact that the writer's guild is, possibly going to go on strike and one of the one of the main things is it and and you know working on the nick and working on this i was in my in a bubble so i didn't realize the situation that's going on where people aren't on set people aren't in post when jack and i were coming up in these shitty sitcoms we were part of all that you know we we got to experience it and so I took it for granted that that's the way it is. When we were on the Nick, again, that's 10 years ago, but still, like, we were on set every single day. Now, we didn't do a lick of post. I mean, when they said rap, Soderbergh was like, see you at the premiere, if we have a premiere. Um, and uh, and so 
this was the first time that I got to be there from start all the way to finish. And we literally finished uh, a month ago in February. And yeah, uh, we had our final mix in February. Um, but to have that full experience of the show, I think that's what gives you the whole love affair with it. You know, it isn't just the writing because to me, there's three, there's three um, acts of writing. There's when you're writing the scripts, there's when you're in production, and then there's all the post, which is all, you know, which is the, which is the art of editing and sound mixing and all that stuff. But that's writing too, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we hear that a lot. A, a movie is made three times. A TV show is made three times. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and to, it, it, it kind of kills me that, that to hear people aren't getting that chance that, that, that the writers are sort of, they come on for 20 weeks and then they're, they're gone and they don't get that set experience. They don't get to see the fruits of their labor. How can you not? That sucks, man. And, and I'm, so I made it a point that these writers that we brought on, they're on set and they get to come to color timing and they get to come to mix. I mean, that's, that's the point. That's why we do this. We don't do it just to, oh, I'm writing in my room. You want to get this shit made and you want to, you know, you want it. You just, you want to see how hard you've worked on something and you want to see it come to life. And if you're so fortunate to have the experience that, 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 that we've had with these two shows, you know, where it's just like the production value is off the charts and budget is incredible that, that you, that's, that's where the rewards are. And if you don't get that opportunity, it's a crime. So has, and, and you'll have to remind me, did, did you guys have a room on uh, the neck? Not really. No, that's what I thought. So, so has working with a room now changed the way you're approaching putting the season, a season together and approaching the change the way you approach story. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because it's, <clears throat> it is, it's not one or two voices. It's, it's, <clears throat> there's, there's, uh, there's, Two two writers and a and a team. Um, it's it's uh, Mauricio Katz and, and Pedro Pirano, um, Elizabeth Boxa, and then uh, Nico uh, Gutierrez Kovner um, are the other writers. And um, I think it's just it's the opening of of again like like what I've always done. It's digesting. It's listening. It's taking in, and and it's also. But it's also having the responsibility of the showrunner, which is, you know, ultimately, I feel and, you know, everybody differs in the way they do this. But but I feel like there needs to be at the end of the day, there needs to be one voice. But it doesn't mean it's it's thanks a lot, guys. I'll take it from here. It's, you know, for example, the second half of the season, we gang wrote and um just because you know it was a time thing man like we were like we were up against it we were we were shooting episodes three and four and it's like uh we we don't we have a an episode five that hbo hates and then we gotta break six seven and eight we gotta figure out our finale um so so we gang wrote those and it, it was a, okay i'm gonna assign you out the scenes and then you're going to give them to me, but I'm going to rewrite them. You lay down the primer and I'll put on the paint. And that's just the way it goes. And we all kind of knew it. 
And so I don't think that anybody's ego was hurt by that. And, and we all had the collaborative spirit because we all knew at the end of the day, we wanted the best show. And, um, and I think that when approaching story, it's the same thing. It's just like, let's all get in there. Let's all listen to one another. And, but let's be, let's just be efficient about it. You know, like I can, let's all kind of come up with our things, but there's going to be a point where I'm going to be like, okay, this is where I think it has to go. And let's just put that down. And we're going to go with that for now. I think, I think it's just that it's finding that balance between, um, being the showrunner, but also being part of the collaborative writers group. Absolutely. Uh, there's, there's a reason that this works. There's a reason we have rooms. Exactly. Um, were there, I would love to hear like specifics, if you can remember them about moves or bits or scenes that came from the room that were exciting to you that you guys couldn't have come up with on your own. Well, I can think of, I can think of one. Have you seen the whole series? I don't want to ruin it. You can it. ruin it. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't think this will ruin anything, but, but it'll make you think, I guess. Um, uh, so we had this, I don't want to ruin it for you, but okay. Um, we, we had this uh, rival, we have this rivalry that grows in the second half that becomes more between um, uh, Lydell, uh, Brooks's father, and um, and uh, Camilla, Hope Davis. Um, and uh, we sort of build on that as, this, as we get into the second half of the season. Um, and uh, we start to see the, 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 the darker side of, of, of Camilla. And we had this whole idea of, we were like, well, what if Camilla kills Lydell? And, and again, this was all part of a room discussion. And we came up with, we had all these, like, we were going around with like every great idea of how to kill. And like, I should, I should say this, this writer's room was so great because we, every, I think almost every day we would come in and say, what did you watch on Criterion last night? And so, because we were all doing deep dives into noir and not only like just classic American noir, Japanese noir, like we were just all just, like, we couldn't stop talking about it. So we had this, we had, so I'll give you two examples because two things came out of that. So I'll finish this one. Um, so, so we were just like going around like, what if they drive off, drives like, but you know, there's the classic, like the brakes don't work and you drive off a cliff. I'm like, yeah, but you know, we've seen that a million times. Like, how do we take that to the next level? And, and, and so what we came up with was what if Lydell is, a, you know, we, we sort of, we started established that, 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 uh, Camilla, like she eats healthy. She, and we wanted to show her having her, like she grows her own food, but she also has like a big greenhouse and she's, she's a beekeeper. And we wanted Lydell to be, find out he's allergic to bees. And so we had this whole idea of like how he comes to her and they have this fight and then he gets back in his car. And by the time he gets in his car, he's driving and there's one bee in there and he swats it away. But then he, he hits a bump and there's there's like a fucking hive in his back seat and he's just covered in bees. And like it's like the most horrific thing you can think of. And we were so into it. Like we loved it. Like we we just I think we had a playlist called the bees and um 
And, uh, and so, but, but we had to like, and rightfully so team Danny was like, "Eh, it's a little more than what the show wants to be. (laughs) So, but, but we do have an homage to that in the final episode where in sort of talking about it and looking up bees and blah, blah, blah. We found that since like Egyptian times that there's like, there's, there's venom therapy, like that they would, people would use bees to sting themselves. And so we have this whole beauty regimen that, that Camille is going through at the top of the last episode where she is like, there are nurses attending to her who are stinging her with bees. So, and the VFX on it are amazing. Like the stinger is like literally coming out of her skin. And um, so there's that one. And then uh, based on the, uh, on the criterion stuff, so so in the first episode you have the the dream of of uh of Emily Dodson and we 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 talked about like um as a group that was one of the first things we did because we that was actually a reshoot we wanted to add more uh to that story more put more meat on the bones for Perry and so we we started talking about a nightmare like what kind of nightmare he can have and it's like well we've seen a lot of stuff and i remember walking in and going like has anybody seen, I said, this is going to be weird. I said, but has anybody seen Stromboli? Like the, 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 the you know, with uh, Ingrid Bergman and, and, and of course they were like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And I said that, I said, okay, do you remember the scene when the fishermen go out and they're pulling the tuna up and you see the tunas coming onto the boat and like they got these big maws and they're trying to breathe. I said, what if we did that? And then we just like, Spun out on that. And that dream, like, you know, you see what it is. It's like she's drowning standing up. But it was like the way it was first written, it's like she's drowning, but a fish comes out of her mouth. Like again, we took it too far. They pulled us back. And and but but again, like that stuff, like we just we I think what we've gotten good at is realizing let's take it to this place. Okay, but now we have to bring it, we have to take in about five steps. Yeah. Um, and those are great examples too. I mean, I think that's like, it's good advice for people who are working on their own stuff, right? What's, what's the size of the thing that fits in your show? Because a hive full of bees that (laughs) causes your car to go over a cliff is maybe too big for your show. (laughs) Right. But, but if anybody has a show where that would work, (laughs) take it, take it and make it great. That's so funny. What were, um, what were some of the standouts from the noir stuff that you watched? There are so many. Um, uh, well, I have to say some of the Japanese noir was really, um, I loved and, and took away from that. Cult is my passport, um, high and low, uh, which, which is just, I mean, what a tight, incredible movie that is. Um, uh, there's a, there's a, um, there's a couple of American ones. Um, there's the, there's one called the desperate hours, which is, um, a, uh, Humphrey Bogart movie in Frederick March, where he's a, a convict and he takes Frederick March's family hostage, which is, um, and, uh, there's a little homage to that in, um, in Perry where, when, when, um, when, uh, Strickland says clickety clack to him, that's, uh, th- uh, that's a direct steal from, uh, Humphrey Bogart. Um, uh, uh, there's also, um, uh, uh, what was it called? odds against tomorrow, 
which is um, which is Harry Belafonte and Robert Ryan, um, which is about uh, these like two guys. Robert Ryan's is like a Southern racist, and 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 Harry Belafonte is a struggling jazz musician, and they have to do a bank heist together. That's amazing. Um, the uh, the Asphalt Jungle is one of my all time favorites, um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean there's so many dude. Like I like we I, there's like. There, oh, detour! Have you ever ever seen Detour? Like that, like hour. That's a perfect hour, ten minutes. Like, thing is amazing. Like you know, so um, uh, in a lonely place, like there's just so so many um that I can point to. I'm trying to like there's there's uh, what is it the the one with um, Alan Ladd and uh. Veronica Hamill is it the is that the blue dahlia not the black dahlia okay there's that one I mean yeah there's there there's so so many but I, I oh there's like pale flower which is another Japanese noir um oh it's it's trippy really trippy um Fun. yeah I don't know a lot of the I've seen high and low but like 20 years ago but I don't know a lot about those and they're great like it's it's worth visiting yeah because they the international it is because again like that they that they that the japanese took from the americans and in a sense they they made it their own and and it's just yeah they're so fun like there's this actor sorry to go off on it um but but in like a cult of my passport and and a couple others i think his name is joe ishida i might be getting the last name wrong but what's interesting about this guy, because he's so distinct, he had surgery on his cheeks to make them bigger. So he's got like this chipmunk face because he thought it would almost make him look like sexier. So you, he's got this very odd presence. Yeah. Um, I mean, you once you see it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that. OK, that guy. Did you feel like and, and this is only a partially related segue. Did you feel like you were given license to play in the freak show of Hollywood uh, with with Perry Mason? M- m- meaning like. Wh- I mean, it's it's a weird town and it's been a weird town for 100 years. Uh, and you're getting to play in the financial aspect. You're getting to play in the government aspect in many ways. Is there you know, I, I feel like season one got to sort of dip a toe in some of that stuff, the Hollywood or motion picture stuff. Did you get to play in that? At we all? didn't, we didn't really play in it. I think that we, I think we set out to try and do what you didn't expect to not go to Hollywood, at least this season. And if, and if, if I'm lucky enough to get the third season, we wouldn't do it in third season either to take you to those unexpected places I think that that, you know, we, you know, because there are certain ways, because I mean, I guess in my mind is so much noir, like there, you know, there is the starlet or like, even when you think about when people think about it, they think about Chinatown, even though that has nothing really to do with Hollywood, you, you sort of get that sort of feel or, or, um, LA confidential, like LA confidential and, and, um, day of the locusts, like those things, like, I don't I didn't want any of those comparisons. And it was like, again, when you do the research, guy with the rattlesnake, like that stuff. Is, <laughs> yeah, there's so much other so stuff. much crazy. There's so much crazy. I have this great book that I'm staring at on my desk called Dark City, which is this Tashin book, which just talks about the 30s 
through the 50s in L.A. and really the, the, the true crime darkness and all the wackiness, all the wacky religions like, you know, which I know they, they sort of hit on with the Sister Amy or Sister Alice character. Um, but even like further, like really crazy, odd people and odd behaviors. And and again, it's like that's the stuff that I want to I want. That's the oddness that I want to play in. For sure. It's what gives Perry Mason a flavor different from LA Confidential and Sunset Boulevard, the things that play in that world. It's a different kind of noir. Uh, and it sounds like you found a good home. I'm so glad. Congrats. It's It feels like a good fit now. Well, thank you. I hope I get to stay in the home. I hope they don't kick me out. Perry Mason, I think as of this release, uh, season two should have just wrapped up. And if not, sorry, spoilers. Um <laughs> Michael, we'll, we'll wrap up as we always do by asking what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? Um, well, I guess I named quite a bit of uh, films, so I'll, I'll skip that. Um, I'll tell you what I've been watching. I, uh, I, but I'm, I'm woefully behind on The Last of Us. I just finished the third episode of that, which was quite a treasure. And um, I have to say that I'm, I, I feel... I don't know him at all, but I feel a slight kinship, though he seems to be hitting it out of the park with Craig Mazin, who started in comedy and like did Chernobyl and like Jesus Christ was that incredible. Um, but I was real. I really enjoyed that. The, the the third episode a lot. I thought to take that sort of bottle of those two characters was amazing. Um, and uh, so I look forward to the rest of that. And I and then I just finished the first season of the docuseries 100 Foot Wave which um oh my god it's amazing okay um it's on hbo uh the second season is coming on in two weeks um it's by chris smith who did my favorite documentary of all time which was american movie um and uh it's about these uh giant wave surfers um it's focused mostly on a guy named garrett mcnamara and he's he's like my age he's mid 50s and he's like still out there and he's it's literally them searching for these massive massive waves and they they discover they go all over the world and they discover off the coast of portugal that this is actually the greatest giant wave surfing spot so it's about trying to catch that wave and it's really inspiring i mean you know you watch so many docuseries that are true crime and like you want to take a shower after watching them and you know um this this is very inspirational and i think that's what i sort of i i loved about it that sounds great yeah i'll definitely check it out uh good recommendations thank you so much for being here michael come back anytime oh well thank you i i i, I love your podcast and i really am flattered that you asked me to be on <laughs>